Welcome back, everybody. We're continuing our conversation with the uh, co-founders of a wonderful organization called VN Arts Hero. Today, I get a chance to talk to Brooke Ishibashi. Welcome to the program, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. An excellent pronunciation of my name. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, as as you know, this will go into one of the topics that you and I will will get into. But my pronunciation of a lot of things that are coming from Asia are really coming from me watching all of the martial arts movies I can get my hands on. So uh, there there have been plenty of uh, of Japanese movies that I've watched. The uh, 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 I think the first one. Uh, First one was maybe the the uh, five samurai, seven samurai. Yeah, uh, seven samurai. Yeah, seven. and uh, again the it's um, uh, Itoichi. No, uh, the uh, the blind uh, swordsman. Uh, oh I don't know that one. Anyway, so it's 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 a lot of these uh, is these films that I've seen uh, over the years. So that probably has something to do with my pronunciation of names. There you go. Whatever yeah. it takes. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about your organization a little bit. I had a wonderful conversation with Jenny uh, uh, Jenny Grace McCollum, who is one of the uh, four. Is it four uh, co-founders? Yeah, there's four of us. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So uh, I had a wonderful conversation with her, and we learned about the organization. But I want to ask you, for the people who haven't had a chance to watch that yet, what is the organization about, and why should we be as excited as I am? Sure. So uh, we start, Be an Arts Hero is a national nonpartisan grassroots movement. What we're doing is lobbying Congress for immediate massive federal relief. So that is our short-term goal. And, and when, we, when we started about four-ish months ago in the midst of the pandemic, uh, that was our purpose is let's just get the extension of federal pandemic unemployment compensation. And once that happens August 1st, then we can dissolve and our purpose will be done. But then we realized that it would be a long game. And so as we've evolved and as we're, we're, we've, we're officially becoming a 501c4, a social welfare organization, a, a, a real deal lobbying entity, uh, we realized that our, our thesis or our, our mission statement needed to, needed to pivot. And so really it's been a process over the, four to five, the last four to five months of pivoting based off of what is or is not happening on the Hill and trying to best serve the 5.1 million arts workers that we represent in the arts and culture sector. Our long-term goals um, have to do with positioning, defending and positioning the arts and culture sector so that we receive the investment that is uh, commensurate with our socioeconomic value. And so that means like Department of Arts and Culture, Secretary of Arts and Culture, yes. all that jazz. And it should be. And uh, again, you know, now reading about the the election results and reading about uh, the Biden administration putting together its cabinet members, and you hear about the fifteen you know cabinet members, and you have the Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary of Transportation. I I keep waiting for the Secretary of Arts and Culture. So um, have you had a chance to reach out to the incoming administration and suggest that they start off on a great footing? Yes. So when we were when we were leading up to the the um, when we were leading up to the election and now post election, we have many allies in on Biden's Arts Council. So first of all, amazing that he had an Arts Council to begin with. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of allies on Biden's Arts Council now. As there's a transition team in place, now we're strategizing to figure out the best next steps. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are bending the ears of those folks, and uh, we have we have 
plans to, um, to I think, advocate for the changes that we need to see on a much, uh, much broader level. So, yeah. Keeping my fingers crossed. Perfect. Uh, I like it. And again, it's, it's really needed because this is a huge industry. And uh, Jenny and I were talking about just how large the industry is and yeah. just how much bigger it is than pretty much every industry that uh, is identifiable through the you know, secretaries because it is, I think, bigger than transportation. It's bigger than agriculture. Yeah. $265 billion more than all of transportation combined. So it is needed and it definitely needs to have a focus. And I'm so happy that you're, you're looking at it from a dollars and cents and a business uh, and perspective. And it's not just the heartwarming conversation of arts are needed because they are. We already know that. But how does it affect the bottom line? And what does it do for our country in terms of the business aspects of it? So that type of conversation hopefully will yield results. Right. And that, you know, the, the, the previous conversation of arts are healing, arts are feel good, arts, you know, arts, arts, arts help us grow and learn and evolve. That's all. We all know that's true, but that conversation wasn't working. And so we came in to change the conversation. And honestly, when you come to the table with, with whole, you know, cold hard facts and numbers, those, those numbers are unimpeachable. You know, when we, when we can say, when we go into our, our, our meetings with uh, Senate, Senate offices and House Rep offices, we go in with a purely economic argument and we say, this is what, and when we go, I think we, we go macro, then we go micro, you know, we say, this is the larger national picture. And then we go state by state, then we go locale by locale, region by region. And we, we bring to them these very, very in-depth briefing docs uh, that they can refer to that have, you know, where, where we cite the Brookings Institution study of COVID, COVID's impact on the arts economy, the creative economy, so that they can understand the larger uh, implications of what the creative economy brings to the table and then what has been lost since COVID has, has hit the country. So, you know, it's, it's a matter of reframing, reframing that so that folks can understand, you know, we are, we are big business and we're too big to fail. And if they let us fail, we bring down surrounding industries that rely on us like transportation, tourism, hospitality, et cetera. So it's painting the picture for them so they understand what's going to happen if we don't receive the relief and investment that we require to survive. It's, it's imperative. And uh, it's not just because, you know, I'm in the industry, but it's because it's, it makes sense. It literally yeah. makes dollars and cents and it should be addressed. So yeah. I'm, I'm very pleased that, uh, that you're fighting the good fight. Uh, it's, I did not know anything about the organization until uh, I, I started you know, uh, talking to uh, Jenny and now yourself. And I am now going to be you know, uh, participating in whatever way I can. So we're certainly gonna be advocating on, on your behalf and we want you to succeed. Thank you. Thank you so much. I also find it interesting that, you know, in this time of COVID, which has been so hard for so many people and so heartbreaking uh, with the losses uh, in human life that we've had this year, on the other hand, produced the wonderful organization like you have. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw myself into the category of new beginnings because May 20th was my first show. If it was not for COVID, I would not have started the show. And right. now I think your interview 111. Oh, wow. 11. Uh, and the, 
the joy that it has brought. Can I just pause? Today's 11-11. That's good luck. Hey, that's, <laughs> I'm the one that makes these notices and I did not. Shame on me, but thank you for noticing it. Yes. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, if we break it down into the numerological aspects of it, it becomes even more interesting because one is a, is a number that's um, signifying a start and yes. doing things on your own. If you put one, one, one together, it's three, and three is a number of self-expression. So it makes sense all the way around as we look at it. So yeah, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's perfect symmetry. Thank you it very is. much for for, uh, for bringing that to my attention. It was faded. It is, I think so, and um, it's it's these new beginnings, right? So it, it's life in general. Uh, I, I look at life as a, as an all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, internet is very much like that. You want hatred, uh, it's, it's right there. You want love and support, it's right there as well. And this year is kind of a, a macrocosm of that. You have enormous um, difficulty that people are going through, but then you have joy and new beginnings and things that maybe will sprout into something that'll be a better future for all of us. Right. It's it's uh, amazing you talk about you know how the, your creative project how our organization we were born out of the crisis we were born out of necessity and it's interesting to think you know I always I always try to put into context you know if this is happening what can we if this this is the crisis what can we what can we make from it how what can we learn from this and you know if the crisis hadn't hadn't swept the entire nation, you know, we wouldn't have rallied together and found such, I think, incredible momentum behind movements for social reckoning. You know, the, the idea that the Black Lives Matter movement uh, came so um, emphatically forward amidst the crisis, I think, was, was born out of the, the moment. People had a, a chance to stop, think, unplug, uh, you know, get rid of the, the distractions of everyday life to really zero in on what matters and what's needed in the moment. And those gaping holes just came, just came bubbling to the surface. Yeah. And uh, again, I, 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 my sincere wish is that once the COVID uh, is over, whenever that's going to be as soon as possible. Uh, once that's over and we look back on 2020, we will remember all of the horrible things that happened, but we will look at it as something that really launched us forward into a new future. And that's my hope. So, you know, knock on wood that uh, things continue going in the right direction and all of us can look back at it and say, really, really tough year, but we're thankful that it happened. So, yeah, and people say, you know, 2020 year of perfect vision, right? It's, it's forcing us to really get um, fine-tuned and looking at everything with, uh, through a different lens, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been a fascinating year, uh, personally, on, on a huge uh, high of wonderful things that happen and huge lows of bad things that happen. So it's, it's just one of those years that I think we'll remember moving right. forward. Uh, speaking of, uh, of things that, uh, that we remember, I was reading that one of your favorite movies, if not your favorite movie, is That Thing You Do, which made me uh, really, really happy to hear because it's one of my favorite movies. And I just introduced it to my kids literally a month ago because oh. it, was, it was time. And I have a 16-year-old daughter and an 11-year-old son. 
and we were, you know, during COVID, you, you have a lot more time as a family, yeah. so catching them up on movies, and that thing you do was definitely on the list, and they just saw it, so I'm very happy about it. So, a uh, fun fact, they shot that thing you do in my hometown of Orange, in Orange, California. It's called Old Town Orange, and they, there's a, a little area called the Orange Circle where they have all of the, the little old-timey restaurants and, and coffee shops and, and, and um, vintage shops, antique shops. And so, I remember, I mean, I was really young when the movie came out, but I remember when they were shooting because it, it, was, it was all the talk in, in our small city. And uh, there, there were stories of Tom Hanks, you know, being on the second level of a building and all the fans coming, coming um, sur crowding him or, or, or sur surrounding the, the building. And he would uh, sign headshots and lower them down in a bucket to all the people down on the street. And it was just, um, it was a really lovely, lovely time. And I think it was reflective of the kind of, you know, human he is and the kind of uh, ship he steers because it just spread a lot of joy in our town when they were, when they were shooting. Um, and you know, the movie, did you, did you watch the, um, the reunion or the fundraiser that I did for Music Cares? I did. I did. Yeah. It's, uh, again, if it wasn't for 2020, we would not have gotten it likely because they finally had time to get together and do it. Yeah. Exactly. Because life was put on pause, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing. And I have a soft spot for, you know, stories of, 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 uh, of, uh, right. Uh, small town, hometown heroes rising to fame and then what happens to them. And I also just have such love and nostalgia for that era and the music and, uh, what it, what, 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 um, you know, there was a, there was a sense of, I think, um, I think naivete in a sense with the young people in that generation and obviously then 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 came the civil rights movement and so it was an interesting um interesting dynamic of of those of those the, those those two influences kind of happening at once but there's something I've always had a I've always had a deep um love for that era me too it's it's my music and uh I was I was it was really heartwarming for me because I didn't have anything to do with it but my daughter naturally gravitates to that, uh, that kind of uh, uh, older uh, styles of music. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it works, but I'm really, really happy because <laughs> that's, it's, it's in the blood somewhere, I'm sure. Yep. Yep. yep, it is, it is. Very cool. So we know your favorite movie. Um, if you had to pick a favorite actor, which is a, uh, I'm, I'm glad <sighs> I'm asking you that question because it would be an impossible question for me to answer myself. But do you have a favorite actor? Uh, you know, it evolves. I think if you ask me now versus six months from now versus a year ago, it would probably change based on what work is exciting to me and what I'm gravitating towards in terms of the projects that I want to work on and what's really, you know, um, uh, I, th I think the most exciting thing to me. I think when you asked, when, you know, we, I felt that, that questionnaire for you a, a little bit ago, the first person who came to mind was Sam Rockwell. And I, I purely actually don't really know why. I haven't even really seen, um, I haven't seen the entire canon of Sam Rockwell movies, but I remember the first time I saw him was in one of the Charlie's Angels movies mm -hmm. as the love interest turned villain. Yeah. And I remember being so taken aback that there was something so 
surprising about his choices. He was kind of like an animal in that you didn't really know what to expect. Like he could attack you or he could snuggle you or he could, you know, you just, you weren't, you weren't sure what was going to come out of this creature. And I appreciated that he was a little bit idiosyncratic. I appreciated that he was, um, he was just always very interesting to me. And so uh, I will, I will see anything that Sam Rockwell does because I just think he's, um, he's a, he has a spontaneity that is really interesting to me. I agree. He's definitely one of the people that I'm trying to get on my show because uh, I, I want to pick that acting brain of his. So exactly. uh, he's, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, yeah. I don't remember what the first movie of his that I watched, but uh, I can't think of any movie that I have seen him in where I didn't think he was amazing. So mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's not just me showering praise. I really do think that way. So, yeah. And I like that with Sam Rockwell, you, it always feels like he's got a card that he isn't showing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's always like a secret with him. And I don't know if that's intentional or, or just a part of his character in general, but I think that's, I think that's fascinating, especially when it's a visual medium, right? And so, you know, our eyes are constantly scanning to see what clues, picking up clues, visual cues, right? And so he always seems to have something hidden from us. And I think that keeps the audiences engaged and leaning in. Yeah, he's he's real, right? You know, we're all looking for reality. We're all looking for something that um, feels grounded but feels interesting. And he he just brings that to you know whatever he's doing. He does. Um, and then I know you spent uh, you know a lot of time in terms of your own uh, kind of uh, performance career. You spent a lot of time on stage. Yeah. Uh, so how did that you know love of acting or love of performing start for you? Well, so I come from a uh, family full of artists and my dad's, on my dad's side, his grandmother was an opera singer back in Japan. On my mom's side, her mother, Mary Kagayama Nomura, who's 95 and like in the best health and she's my role model. She was known as the songbird of Manzanar when she was interned in the camps in Manzanar during World War II, uh, when she was in those concentration camps. So it's, uh, it's always been in the blood. My parents met in the 70s and um, my dad was the front man of an r&b band and my mom auditioned to be the lead female singer and then they opened a music store together they started a music production company so i grew up as a backstage showbiz kid and my dad was doing concerts with people like Ray Charles and Rock and Roll, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. And so my sisters and I, there's, there's three of us, Brittany, Brianna, Brooke, uh, we were just, we, that's all we knew is all we knew was show business. And so my parents knew the ups and downs of an art, artist lifestyle and they encouraged us to follow our, our dreams. So uh, we all went to school for it. We all got our degrees in theater and we all pursued, pursued careers as actor, writer, singer, dancers, and and it was bred from a, 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 an environment where we were constantly surrounded by arts and uh, I didn't know anything else. So it was, it was, it was kind of a no brainer. And, uh, and I received no um, uh, pushback from my parents. They actually encouraged us to pursue, pursue our, our dreams. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. My, my mom's mother. So my grandmother, uh, I had an operatic voice, but you know, back in the old country, the opportunities were were very different. Uh, and then my mom's uh, brother, my uncle, uh, who passed away, uh, you know, many years ago, he was a musician. So he had a band, and he traveled, and he played multiple instruments. Mm -hmm. So my mother was always hoping 
that I would get the, the singing uh, and the musical gifts that my family was, uh, was uh, bringing forth. Unfortunately, <laughs> they did not happen. <laughs> but there's the love of music and that's all that matters. Absolutely. And, and I, you know, uh, from, from the earliest of ages, I always sang and people always told me to stop. So it was more me singing on my own and I've gotten better and better and better through it. And I have a very good range. It's just there are a lot of holes through it. So, but my daughter is a good singer. My son, I oh. think, may also have the ear. So it skipped my generation. I think it's, it's catching up. Which you know what's interesting, too, though, is you talk about your, your ancestors, your grandparents and their parents, et cetera. We think about, you know, being descendants of, of immigrants, essentially. And I think about, you know, how that has, has positioned me in a way where I, I, I am able to pursue a life in the arts in a way that my grandparents, you know, weren't. They, and, and for them, they were actually forcibly removed from their homes. And so they were put into camps. And so they weren't able, they were taken out of college, you know, so it was a very different landscape for my, my grandparents' generation. And also in, I think about the opportunities I have because my ancestors truly paved the road for me. So I feel very grateful that I'm in a position where I can have this life and this career path because it wasn't something that was, uh, it wasn't a reality for my parent, for my grandparents and for their parents and so on. Yeah, and uh, I am an immigrant. I came here when I was 14. So technically I'm a refugee, you know, because we came in with a refugee status from, uh, from the former Soviet Union. So, you know, a lot of the opportunities that my parents never had, I had and it became, it became a drive and a burden because you you were brought here to succeed and if you don't succeed that's failure and that fear of failure has been the driving force uh behind me which has been a blessing and a curse so um yeah it's 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 a really interesting thing but you know with the art specifically my dad who uh who acted uh, and he was uh he was good he just didn't choose to pursue it uh, as a career he didn't want me to be uh, be an actor because he knew all of the uh, all of the difficulties that come along with it. His friends right. became actors, and he saw them struggling in life. He didn't want that for me. So it's it's that mix of you have the ability and you have the drive and you have the desire, and yet you have many other factors that come into it. And that's my acting uh, life uh, in in a nutshell. I was born. I knew I wanted to be an actor. I was going towards it. Then we came to the United States. I you know, had to assimilate, didn't become an actor. My parents wouldn't let me uh, study to become an actor. And then life uh, happened. I, I have a wonderful wife and two kids and I'm in Chicago. So the dream of being a full-time actor uh, is maybe going to happen, likely not. And it, it's, it's a constant companion and something that I do and I enjoy doing and I do it to a certain level. And, it, you know, far be it for me to, uh, to refuse uh, being a regular on a sitcom, I'm definitely happy to take it. But if it doesn't happen, this is where the show kind of filled that void. And me having the ability to talk to uh, people in the industry and to really be a sponge uh, for it, become a much better artist myself, and then be able to share that wisdom and knowledge with uh, people now around the world. And, and I don't mean that 
facetiously, I mean that literally. I think 87 countries have viewed this show. So wow. that became a way. And then because of it, I started getting people coming to me saying, hey, we, we want to uh, get your help in, uh, in casting and producing. So I am starting to get involved in that. So I have no idea where all of this is going. But point to everybody who's watching is look at you know, five months ago for you, six months ago for me, or five and a half months ago, we started something from nothing. And now mm -hmm. it's something that is completely changing our lives. Right. You never know until you try. And that, you know, whether you're in arts or anywhere else, you should pursue. Exactly. And it's something that, that popped up in my brain as you were talking about that, Alan, is the idea of alchemy, right? It's, you know, when we come from backgrounds where there perhaps was a lack of opportunity or there were barriers to access, it's a matter of taking what you're given and what are you going to do with that? How are you going to turn that into, how are you going to turn that into gold? How are you going to turn that into opportunity? And for so many of my friends and colleagues, the people who are the most successful are the ones who take what they're given and they generate it into something that can help propel them forward. And you know, there's a lot of factors involved. It's, what do they say, talent and, ta when talent meets, when, when, when um, discipline and preparation meets uh, luck and discipline or something like that, right? It's the idea that you gotta be ready, but you also, you know, I have so many friends who, are primed and ready and who do the work who just you know haven't been quote unquote lucky and so it's a weird it's a weird uh, amalgamation of, of all those factors some of them are, are out of your control um, but I do believe in that that concept of alchemy and what can you what can you uh, create out of what out of the cards you're dealt yeah and kind of the intention that you put behind it right uh, and every time that I try to create something for the money it would inevitably fail you have to do it for love. You have to do it because it fulfills you and you have to do it because you think it'll help somebody else. And then yeah. things happen on their own uh, and you just kind of go along for the ride and see where it goes. Yeah, you think you, you mentioned, you know, doing the act of service or that concept. And I think for me, I've always known that for me, it was never just about the arts and it was never just about service. It was about the intersection of arts and service. And, you know, I always say the story of when I was a little girl, my mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I wanted to be a tap dancing doctor because I wanted to help people, but I wanted to entertain them too. So even from a very early age, I understood that that was a part of, that was my purpose. And so through this crisis, you know, be an arts hero has been such an incredible, um, it's been an incredible lesson for me because I've learned that we've, we, we've garnered so much incredible support from, from heavy hitters in the industry, blue collar rank and file members across the entire sector, anyone you can think of institutions nationwide. Mm. And it's, it's brought in such a wealth of, of relationships and support. Um, but none of that would have happened if it wasn't th these, this core group of four people who said, how can we help everyone? And so there's the idea that, you know, when we, when we were, when, when we started this, you know, with the purest of intentions thinking, how can we, how can we save the world? Um, look at all of the, 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 the beautiful opportunity that's come out of it. So it's, it's an interesting lesson. Absolutely. Um, 
one more area that that I definitely want to touch upon before I let you go is martial arts. I know both of us are 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 fans. You're a martial artist. You're a black yes. belt. I want yes. to ask what Don. So what what Don of Taekwondo are you? Are you a black belt? So so when 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 we were I was in um. Gosh, what what grade was I in? My my father, my sister, and my two sisters and I all trained together. So my father wanted to make sure that we had self-defense um, capabilities. Having three daughters, he wanted to make sure that we were all uh, we were all able to beat up the boys who you know uh, who we went to school with. And so we trained together, and we trained all the way through getting our first degree black belts together. Mm-hmm. And then after after my um, my time with Taekwondo as a young person, I then I moved to New York to go to school and I continued with Capoeira and Muay Thai, et cetera, and, and regular, you know, kickboxing and boxing. Mm-hmm. And it's always been something that's been um, incredibly, incredibly satisfying and gratifying to me because uh, there's a spirituality to the practice and there's a focus and a discipline to the practice, which is which which taught me a lot as a young person, but then there's just the the, the good old fashioned you know uh, getting your aggression out by punching you know <laughs> and kicking and breaking boards was um, something that I needed as a creative emotional outlet too, and just the the idea of connecting sound with that movement was a, a really cathartic lesson for me in terms of what I needed physically to maintain a sense of of health and balance and well being. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned breaking boards, which uh, again, I, I remember as as I had to go through that same process. And uh, in my school, they really weren't uh, showing you how to break boards. And then all of a sudden, you have you have this uh, test, and you have all the people watching. And then they bring out, and they you know they have the kids, and they have the smaller, the thinner boards, and then they bring out. And it looks like yeah. a you know, stack of three or four really thick ones, and you're thinking. Yeah. Okay, so there are only three things that may happen. One is I may make a fool out of myself and not break anything. Two, yeah. I may actually break my hand or my yeah. wrist because I'm doing it wrong. Or three, I can focus, put everything out of my mind and just see what happens and hopefully everything is going to be okay. And yeah. that feeling of you breaking it and then everything kind of falls and then they just kind of display it. You're like, Yes. Yeah, it's the rush. It's the rush of knowing yeah. what your your because uh, it isn't just the physical action; it's the intention behind it, right? Because just the physical action of of hitting something it may not necessarily break it, but it's the intention behind it. And I guess that is something you can carry over to acting, right? It's the idea of just the the physical act of of you know uh, of doing something, saying I love you, of touching someone, of comforting something isn't necessarily going to be what comforts them. It's mm-hmm. your intention behind it. And I mean, it, it, it taught me a lot, but God, is it gratifying just that, that, that crack, that crack of the board and then you feel it give, oh, there's nothing like it. <laughs> well, I'm with you. It's, it's, yeah. it's a really, really special feeling. Um, and uh, from my perspective, I think martial arts needs to be a part of the acting curriculum. In, in an acting school, martial arts needs to be that, not just because you need to learn how to defend yourself, because they already have stage combat. Right, uh, in order to prep you for uh, for you know different films or or uh, projects that you may be a part of, I mean actual martial arts because yep. when we're in a scene together, 
it's really, it's a dance. It's really just mm -hmm. the two of us. And whether it's boxing, Muay Thai, Capoeira is a beautiful example of it. It's really teaching us how to be present in the moment, how to pay very close attention to everything that's happening from the eyes to the body and be moving mm -hmm. with it, reflecting and be able to, uh, to be affected by it. I think that needs to be a part of the curriculum because it'll yep. teach people how to actually be in a scene. Yes. It's about being literally on your toes. And, you know, some people say acting is reacting. It's the idea that I'm observing you, I'm listening to you, and everything I'm doing is informed by what I'm getting off of you. So you're, I mean, I compl I'm completely aligned with what everything you're saying. It is a dance. And, and I miss sparring. Oh, my God, I miss sparring. Listen, you you and Jenny have both done Muay Thai and you both so there should be a, there should be heavy bags in the office. Maybe I know to, to, to spar. I'm not trying to get you two to fight, but you know, you, you have somebody who you can actually spar with. Once we once we get an office, once we have a brick and mortar and you know we're official, but also Jenny's in New York and I'm in LA right now, so we're not even able to meet for a drink at this point. So hopefully when you know uh, when we're all able to safely gather, we can we can have a we can have a sparring studio and some bags up in our space, and maybe in DC when we have an official space in DC. That would be great. Now, the the two other uh, co-organizers are they into martial arts as well? Is this a you know? You know, I don't know if Carson Carson Elrod. I don't know if Carson Elrod has a background in martial arts. Matthew Lee Erlbach who's our other co-founder, who's a, a longtime friend of mine. He hired me in my first show out of, my first professional show out of college. It was called Happy Sunshine Kung Fu Flower. It was a political satire sketch show. Mm -hmm. So in that there was martial arts, but it wasn't, um, it was it was all in the realm of satire. So it, it wasn't anything that I would um, bring home to my, to, to my studio. But uh, I, 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 I don't know if Matthew, I think Matthew appreciates martial arts, but I don't actually know what his background is in it. So I'll have to ask him. I think so. Listen, it, uh, you're already fighting for, you know, everybody in our industry might as well, you know, take that to the next level. Yeah. Get our aggression out, you know. And dealing with politics, you're going to get plenty, <laughs> plenty of, of reasons to do so. Oh, absolutely. Uh, last thing, because again, uh, due to your cultural background, due to what you're actually fighting for, uh, what do you see in the industry in terms of diversity and inclusion? Is the industry progressing or is the industry regressing? You know, I don't know if we're progressing or regressing. I can say that there's more of a conversation happening than I've ever seen. And, you know, I'm early in my career, you know, but I, but I will say that the idea that there are movements like We See You White American Theater, our friends uh, Eden Espinosa and Karen Olivo started an organization called Affect, it's Artists for Economic Transparency. Um, they, they were born out of the crisis also, and We See You White American Theater also was, was uh, uh, born in, 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 in during the pandemic as well. There's the idea that these, these social movements are, are coming out in full force now out of necessity and out of this moment of, of, of reckoning and upheaval, I think it's gratifying to know that forces are coming together to address that there's a problem. I think it's gratifying to know that people are asking for accountability, 
that people are, at, are, are, are putting folks' feet to the fire. And it's, it's, there's still a lot of work to be done. So I don't know if we are progressing or regressing, but I do know that the conversations are happening. And I do know that uh, folks are um, demanding the change that um, is so desperately needed. So I feel hopeful, but I also feel like, ooh, we got a long road ahead. Well, um, keep fighting a good fight on all fronts. I really appreciate you coming on. I really enjoyed our conversation. And you, Jenny, and uh, all the co-founders are always welcome on the show. Thank you so much for having us. We, we truly appreciate your time and your amplification of our efforts. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thanks to everybody for tuning in and to another episode of The Love of Acting. Please follow Be an Arts Hero. It's right below this video. Go check them out. Donate. Get involved. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.